0: Welcome to the Lagon Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagon Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm part of the team here um, at Lagon Valley Vineyard. And I have the privilege of getting to share with you guys uh, over the next kind of few moments that we share together. Um, I'm just back from the States. We're doing uh, some speaking over in the States, and so I'm a little bit jet-lagged. I'm also uh, dog-sitting for my parents, so like all the young parents, newborns in here, I feel your pain. Um, <laughs> we're, we're in this together. And uh, so I'm not really sure what time it is, but, um, but I am really glad to be here, So and I'm glad that you're, you guys are here too. We're in the middle of a series called Here for Now. It's off the back of a series called What is the Church Where We Unpacked? Ideas and principles around what the church is to look like. And here for now is the idea of what that actually looks like in practical form. And so in a few weeks, Andy shared, we're going to be doing All In Sunday. And so we've taught through each of these aspects and taught into what it looks like to engage in these through the lens of being all in in our community. If you're new or a guest or a visitor here, you're unbelievably welcome. Um, This may feel a little intense. I'm not usually intense. Am I intense? I am intense. All right. I am intense. So, um, but we are unpacking some stuff that's really, really important as we join in with what Jesus is doing here and also beyond in the Lagan Valley region. So if you have your Bibles, um, why don't you turn to First John chapter 4? 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. And as you turn there, the big idea that we're unpacking is this idea of what it means to serve for service, and that the way of serving is the way we embody love. It's the way we become love. And so if you have your Bibles, First John chapter 4, verse 7, let me read it for us. Come Holy Spirit. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He ever does not love, does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We talked a few weeks ago about this idea of service. Now, I know you guys all remember everything I said in that talk. Um, or most did. Um, but we're going to unpack that a little bit further. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap, and then I'd love to get really practical about what it looks like to engage in this community as being all in when it comes to serving. See, when it comes to serving, there's a point in our journey as followers of Jesus where the love of God is most profoundly accessed and experienced when it is shared and dispensed to others. In the same way the scriptures tell us that when we uh, lay down our lives, we find it. It's the same when it comes to service, that when we lay it down, when we try to love people and engage in loving people, often we experience it. C.S. Lewis says this, In self-giving, if anywhere, we discover the rhythm not only of all creation, but of all being. That when we serve, we tap into the beat of another kingdom. It's how we are created to live. And in this passage in 1 John verse 4, you read in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is the biblical context and concept of love. It's active. It's sacrificial. It's not lofty or hard to grasp. It is embodied. Compassion is the biblical word used to translate for active sacrificial love. And the issue that we kind of face in modern times is that we've replaced sacrificial love, embodied love with sentimental love. Sentiment is the idea of something that never comes into fruition. Sentiment is the seed that can blossom into sacrificial love, but often it rarely does. It's emotional investment without embodied action. It's weeping at the news report, but just simply turning that into topical conversation over dinner with friends. It's explaining to a church community that we're passionate about serving the next generation, yet we're still struggling to get people to serve on our teams. It's posting in social media about this or that, but never actually praying or engaging with it. We live in a sentimental culture where we are inwardly moved It's so often we are stagnant when it comes to how we move it outwards. Often we feel love. And in these moments we worship together and we gather together, we can feel love. But the question is, are we becoming love? And if the decline in volunteerism, both in the church and outside the church, is anything to go by, I think what we are learning is that we're discovering that we are a sentimental culture as opposed to a sacrificial one. Jesus lived with no gap between his head, And his heart, no gap between his heart and his feet. Every time we read in scriptures that Jesus was moved in the Spirit, we see a description of that movement acted out. From feeding the five thousand, raising Lazarus from the dead, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is literally a parable on passive and active love, we see that love is embodied and acted out. Jesus reiterates that love is to be acted; it's to be embodied through sacrifice. Love takes the seed of sentiment and allows it to blossom into service in the sacrifice sentiment is the seed in the human soul but when it's not acted upon often things can get a little bit weird and what was meant to make us more can end up actually making us less because there's a point in our journey as followers of jesus where the love of god is more profoundly accessed and experienced when we dispense it to others when we don't often we get a little bit disillusioned. We struggle to understand why we can't experience God because what was once a flowing well feels like a dry one. And maybe it's that God is actually redirecting where your affections and actions are to go. Verse eight says, whoever does not love, does not know God because God is love. The character quality of God summed up in one word. God is love. And this is important because if God is power, the way we become God, the way we act out God to the world around us is by gaining authority and Leaning it over other people. If God is knowledge, then the way we become like God is by acquiring all this information, these lofty ideas and concepts, and then that's how we become like God. But because God is love, the way we become like God and the way the world knows what God is like is by loving people, is by sacrifice and by service. We talk about this all the time that we want to be a Jesus church. Jesus came as a servant, he was the highest who came to the lowest. And so to be a Jesus church, it means that we serve. means that we sacrifice for each other, both in this space and beyond it. And you might have heard this recent phrase flying about, this modern phrase flying about. I hear it often that people say, I really love Jesus, but I I hate the church. And it makes no sense at all. Because if we love Jesus, we're to love what he loves. And the church is called his bride. It's like going out for dinner with me and Jenny, be like, Chris, I really love you. Really hate Jenny. Now, if you know us, you know the opposite's probably more likely to happen than that. But it just doesn't make sense. We're to love Jesus and love his church because he loves his church. He loves his people. You in this space, brothers and sisters. And so there are two people, two types of people that we are to serve when it comes to being all in. The first one is siblings, the second one is strangers. And we understand this idea of siblings in, in this passage in, in 1 John where it talks about dear friends. He addresses the community in this area. And we get the example of what it means to love our siblings in the example of Jesus where he took off his outer robe, he picked up the water basin and the towel and he washed the feet of his disciples. If you want to know what it looks like to serve each other, it looks like taking off your old self, picking up a, picking up a towel and picking up a water basin and washing their feet. You see, often when it comes to the church, we can be really good at missions of love, right? Concentrated missions of love. But what does it actually look like to live lives of love? We can be great at sprints of love, responding to the immediate needs. But what does it look like to run the long race of servanthood? The table you find yourself at most frequently, your immediate family, your church family, the tribe that you're at, we're to make it our habit to strip off our old selves, to pick up the basin and the towel? and to wash each other's feet. We're to make it our habit to take the place of the servant. Because in self-giving, if anywhere, we touch a rhythm not only of all creation, but of all being. Secondly, strangers. In Luke 15, we get three images which are an answer to the question is, what is God like? And uh, these three uh, stories is one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost son. You guys will know this if you've been around church at all. We learn a whole lot from these stories. But one of the things that we learn distinctly through it all is that God and Jesus is preoccupied with those that are lost, those who are the least, and those who are out of place. These three stories were prompted by insiders who knew the Scriptures, they knew the truth, but they were not living out the way of it. The Pharisees muttered because Jesus welcomed sinners to eat with them. That when he pursues the lost and the broken, the Pharisees mutter. And in this context, if we want to be the church that God longs for us to be, we have to pass through the predictability of this room and this space into the unpredictability out there, towards the city and towards the region. Service that goes past the city, that goes to strangers, so that every stranger becomes a sibling. Compassion beyond these walls, because the love of God did not stay at home, but it went after the lost running. And when we're the church in the wild, we get to experience the wild things of God. The father's compassion did not stay at home. And when he arrived back, he was more concerned with him coming home than where he's been. He is the good shepherd. He is the woman who sweeps for the coin and celebrates when it's found. He is the father. He paces the window, waiting for the head of his son to pass by so he can run to them. This is the criteria of how we are to serve the world, to go after the lost, the least and the lonely. This is what it looks like to be God out there. And so what does this mean for us as we lean into this idea of being all in? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's the whole point and why I'm sharing. To be all in, I want to talk about what it tangibly looks to serve both our siblings and our strangers. And we're going to kind of get into the details of this, of, of what I really feel like is on my heart and also what's on God's heart right now currently for us as a community. These are practices and commitments that we make that move this idea of service as like a sentimental idea to embodied action, to a sacrifice that we can actually act out. And I want to start with a bit of a bombshell because despite what you've heard and despite even what I've said on this stage before, Jesus actually does care about behavior modification. And I know I've said the opposite to that, but behavior modification that is motivated by love, not fear. Dallas Rillard says this, grace is not opposed to effort is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Our behavior and our choices is what takes sentiment into actual action, what takes sentiment into sacrifice. And Jesus actually does care about it. He cares about the choices that we make, but he fuels them from a place of love, not trying to figure out where we stand with God. We know where we stand with God, but a place to actually live out what God calls us to do. Effort, not earning. And so when it comes to this, uh, the first one is serving the family. Jesus didn't die for us to go to church on a Sunday. It's not the only reason why he died and rose again. And following Jesus for most people, maybe not in this community, but in the West anyway, it looks like a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of self-care, and that equals faith. Consumable church where I get fed and receive stuff, and then some self-care sprinkled on that, so I stay okay, that's faith. And eventually, whenever that's that's what's happening, what we discover is that people actually come to some sort of realization, well, do I even actually need church or do I even actually need Jesus? Because self-care is kind of short-term, at least, fixing some of my problems. And as followers of Jesus, over time, we fine-tune our preferences to get the faith that we love. We leave gaps, usually, of discomfort and awkwardness, gaps of service. There's a a Bible translation called the Jefferson Bible where an individual literally cut up the parts of the Bible to decide what he thought was appropriate and not. Like cut out things that he was like, I don't really like that, but I like this, to create his own Bible. Now that sounds absolutely crazy. We would never do that. Yet so often our actions actually might resemble that. We think that Jesus didn't mean what we don't agree with. And what happens is that we become a community of preference. It's a modern church issue. And when we get rid of Jesus at the center of our lives and the center of this community, he becomes irrelevant on the outskirts because self-care feels more convenient and more doable. Barna, who conducted a massive piece of research on Gen Z called Open Generation, they interviewed over 25,000 teenagers across the world in different contexts. Um, They they have loads of incredible stats, but they talk about the the percentage of, of, uh, of Gen Z that are Christians. And this is how they define being a Christian in in the West, that you attend a church service once a month. That's what they consider a committed Christian. Can you imagine you were going into work and you're like, I'm really committed boss, I'll be in once a week. It just wouldn't work. It just wouldn't fly. And what we've discovered over the years and particularly I think actually post-COVID is that the bar is lowered and we need to be people who establish a new radical standard We are to serve the family where there is need and gaps, not just where our preference is. And you might say, I'm not gifted in that or I'm not passionate about that. And what happens when we only serve where we're passionate or where we're gifted? This is what happens. Our strengths get stronger and our weaknesses get weaker. And that's a problem because the kingdom of God does not operate like the world does. Strengths matter in the world. Strengths matter in our jobs. Strengths matter in in the world outside of us. But in the kingdom of God, it is your weakness that will define how far you go it is often your deficit that unlocks the destiny of others. It's why those who do alpha with us in schools, who say, I have nothing to offer, I'm not sure I'll be great at this, actually are the best. They're the ones who actually do it better than most of the rest of us. We need to lean into our weakness because it's the very place where God is made strong. When it comes to serving this family, we're to say yes and then ask questions after. Meet the need and then lean in. This is what it means to serve the family our family. And to those of you, if I can just speak for a moment, who have kids in our little party or big party age, it also means serving your family. And this might sound intense, but I think this is really, really important. You are the primary disciples of your children. You cannot outsource discipling your children. I was chatting to a friend in, who pastors a, 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 an amazing community of young people um, in New York just last week, and he was Talking about this, how whenever parents want their kids to be better at football, they take them to a football coach. When they want their kids to be better at guitar, they take them to a guitar tutor. When they want them to be better at maths, they take them to a maths tutor. And what do you guys do whenever you want your children to follow Jesus better? You take them to a youth ministry or get them around a youth pastor or a kids pastor. And listen, I'm for those things. And I actually think we've some pretty incredible youth pastors and kids pastors. If I do so, say so myself. But it can't all be on us, it can't all be outsourced to us. You, as parents, are the primary disciples of your children. Susanna Wesley, I heard this this week, um, was the mother of 19 kids. And her husband was a, a pastor who was busy with church stuff. And so her role in the household was to raise the kids, educate them, and also teach them how to follow Jesus. She used to spend at least one hour with each of her child a week talking about how they were following Jesus and how they were being formed into Jesus. And uh, the, there's stories where uh, her life was so busy that the only way she would get to spend time with God is she would sit at the table and she would put a tea towel over her head with a Bible underneath. And that's when her kids knew they couldn't approach mom because she was spending time with God. She was unbelievably busy. Yet she had two children specifically. One A son, Charles, who writes over 3,000 hymns and another called John, who led one of the most important movements in the church in recent years. Your investment cannot be understated. It is so important. And so if you're all in in this community and you have kids in little party or big party, this is what it will look like. We're not going to ask you to sign up for a ROTA. We're going to put you on a ROTA, what it means to be all in. We love you too much and love your kids too much for this not to be the case. And so you'll be out of the ROTA once every five weeks or if you serve in other areas, once every 10 weeks. And if you're too busy to serve once in every 10, we can have conversations about what's more important. From the top down, leaders, pastors, all of us, we're going to engage in this. This is what it means to be all in. This is the radical minimal standard of what it looks like to serve the family. We serve the family and we serve our families. Number two, we're to serve the next generation. Um, uh, these are stats from the Barner research that I just referenced on open generation. Um, so I have, I have some stats and they're accurate. So um, someone said to me last night, Chris, your stats are not always accurate, but they are always helpful. So um, these ones are accurate and helpful, um, so, um, but they are a little sad. So here's some stats for you from the Barner research on Gen Z. One in three teens believe that Bible teachings today are relevant. Four out of five young adults say that there are no good leaders or examples to follow. 87% of Gen Z agree that they have the ability to make a meaningful impact in the world if they had the encouragement and leaders to show them how to make the steps. 70% of teenagers lose their faith as a young adult. These are just a few stats. There's, there's many more. But right now in the West, we are two generations away from a mass exodus of biblical faith and principles. We also find ourselves in the church in a leadership crisis. Gen Z are looking for answers and they are searching for people to follow. And we could probably say that things have never been worse. I just heard this last night when we were gathered as, for signal fires. Between the ages of 16 to 24, you know the percentage of 16 to 24 year olds in the United Kingdom that are Christians is 2%. If that falls to 1.7%, it is labeled as an unreached people group. The average number of youth ministries right now in the United Kingdom is five young people. And we could argue right now that things have never been worse or we as the church could realize that we've never had a greater opportunity. If you want to fill up a picture from last night, there there's around 200 of us in this space last night for a Signal Fires event. There was leaders included in that, maybe 170 teenagers who were crying out for God to move here and now in this generation, pleading with God to intercede and move into their schools. Things... Maybe haven't been worse. But, church family, we have the opportunity of a lifetime. And if you're familiar with revival stories, you'll understand stats like this and photos like that are the indicator that things are about to tip over if we choose to lean in and lay our lives down for the sake of Jesus meeting a generation. We have the opportunity right now as a community of people to shift the narrative that young adults, teenagers, and Gen Z are a lost cause. One in three teens believe that Bible teachings are relevant today. We need to not only tell people about the truth. We need to show them the goodness and the wildness of God. 70% of teenagers lose their faith as a young adult. We can't just place them in youth ministries and then just pray for dear life that they hold on as a young adult. We need to invest in them. We need to invest in strong followers of Jesus, not safe ones, but strong ones. And that needs modeled by every age in our community. Four out of five young adults say there's no good leaders or examples to follow. 87% of Gen Z agree that they have the ability to make a meaningful impact in the world if they had encouragement from leaders to show them the steps. The age of the disciples that Jesus called were around the age of 13 to 20. David slayed Goliath when he was 15. Josiah was eight years old when he came to your throne. He he sought after the face of God as a teenager and he's seen a national revival of 20. Teenagers can make the difference. Gen Z can make the difference, but they need family around them. They need mothers, they need fathers, they need brothers and sisters, and they need grandparents to rally around them and to champion them. We are in a leadership crisis and we get to change that. In fact, I would go as far as saying we hold the keys to that. Josh Ship says this, Every young person is one caring adult away from being a success story. Every young person is one caring adult away from being a success story. And this is not just in this generation. This is for every generation. For our kids, for our teens, for our young adults, for those who are just married, just have kids, those who are becoming grandparents and great-grandparents, whatever it looks like to serve the generation beneath us, to invest in them, to lay down our lives for them. And so what it looks like to be all in our community to serve the generations is that if someone asks you who you're invested in, who you're mentoring or discipling, whatever title you want to put on it, that you can name those people. You have people that you're actively investing and in, you're walking across on a Sunday to the other side of the room to chat to that 16-year-old, to introduce yourself and say, listen, how can I pray for you this week? Or to walk over to those young adults who are just married and say, come over to our house for dinner. It's what it looks like to serve the family and invest in it. We got a glimpse of this a few weeks ago. We baptized Nine or ten teenagers um, here, like three, three weeks ago, and out of those ten, I baptized one of them. Now, see, if that was five years ago, I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, "Why does no one love me? Like, this is terrible." I'm a youth pastor. Like, why am I only baptizing one of these? And the truth was, I could not have been more proud of our community. For going through the, the, the baptism course, they got to choose who were going to baptize them. And I love that our young people had people from all over this community baptizing because they were invested in their lives. Not just in the moment of baptism, but how they walk out new life into that. I was incredibly proud. And I want that to be what it looks like. The clock determines the play. How you play in the first five minutes is different to how you play in the last five minutes. And if you're one down or two down in the last five minutes, it changes them one or two down in the, fir- in the first five minutes. There's an urgency for us to rally around, to be the community, to serve each other and to invest in the generations beneath us. There's perhaps never been a greater opportunity to do so. Lastly, when it comes to strangers, we are to join in with the mission of God on earth from retreat to advance. The kingdom of God only knows advance. It doesn't know standstill. It doesn't know backwards. It only knows advance. And when we privatize our faith to just a Sunday morning or just a gathering, often what ends up happening is we play some kind of defense where we come here to hide from the world as opposed to going out into it, to change it. And for a lot of people, or even a lot of people in the West, the goal of following Jesus is to become a nice Christian. And listen, I think we should be nice people, all right? I'm for nice people. But the truth is, nice is not how the kingdom of God advances. When you read the life and ministry of Jesus, you read the Gospels, it's, Utterly impossible to read it and not be captivated by the person that he is. Even we do alpha, those who don't believe in Jesus, when they read the ideas of Jesus or we talk about the ideas or concepts of it, like they're captivated by it. Like this man was unlike any other. And yet in the West, we've somehow found a way to make this man boring. And I think we've made him boring by just trying to be nice. We need to lean into the wild things of God, to lean into the risk. Of following Jesus so that others may encounter him. The world doesn't need nice, it needs the power and presence of a living and reigning God. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or bad people nice, He came to make dead people alive. All of the joy and wonder and terror comes in the risky places of playing offense, taking the risk and not just being nice. If we want to see people come to faith, we need to get around the lost. If we want to see keep people healed, we need to get around the sick. If we want to see people freed, then we need to get around those who are on bondage. If we want to see people who need deliverance, we need to go to the people who need it. We need to get out there into those places, into the places of need. And this is the difference between the ministry of Pharisees and the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Pharisees said, come here and hide in our institution. Whereas Jesus said, I'm going out there. I'm taking this show called The Kingdom of God on the Road to demonstrate it. Some of the best stories of the church happen outside of these walls and they should and despite what you think in this space you're the perfect candidate to be used by God you might think God wouldn't use me God doesn't use people like me God only has people like us he longs to move in and through us to demonstrate his goodness to the world around us Following Jesus is a mixture of terror and wild joy. It's supposed to make us uncomfortable from time to time, even scared. But what we experience in that process, nothing comes close. Life and life to the full. And so as we seek to serve and embody what love looks like in the world, here's three really practical ways that you can do it. Number one is to speak love. Now, there's a quote that used to run around often, like preach the gospel and if necessary use words. Like it's a cool quote, but it's actually not true because like it requires words. It requires for us to speak about it. 40% of Gen Z think it's wrong to evangelize. 40%, almost half of Gen Z feel like it's wrong to evangelize. Modern society is, is, is trying to persuade us around all different things. And often when it comes to following Jesus, we self-censor censor what we care about. We censor what we love. It could be argued that evangelism was out of style. I think... Our community here would argue with that considering what's happening with Alpha. You see, everyone is speaking a gospel. A gospel is a story that promises life and purpose and fulfillment. It could be the gospel of coal plunging or intermittent fasting, the gospel of Bitcoin or I don't even know what else, getting fit or whatever the fad is. And all of the world is trying to convince you that this is what will bring you purpose and this will bring you happiness. It's... Places products in front of you, ads in front of you to make you believe that. And when it comes to telling people about Jesus, we can't simply just product place Jesus the little moments so that hopefully a conversation comes up. You see, people talk about what they love. We talk about what we love. We talk about sports or fashion or food or whatever it may be. We talk about what we love. What is on our hearts we talk about? And often we are dishonest about our love for God. We're not honest about what he's done in our lives and how he's changed it, and so we compartmentalize it. Being honest about what God has done in your life and being front-footed of it, about it is the opposite of manipulation. It is being honest with the affections of your heart. And so question, where are you living dishonestly in search of comfort and being polite or even being nice? Secondly, supernatural love, signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God where what God wants happen, happens. What does it mean for us as a people to imagine the desires of God on earth and then act those desires out? A gospel that's not only come and hear, but also come and see. Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, and then miracles are evidence of the inbreaking of that kingdom. His teachings and his ministry are always intertwined. It is the truth and the way. It matters because. When he went away, he didn't just leave us, he sent the spirit to be with us. And so we are sent into the world. Ordinary people, like you and me, doing extraordinary things, the Jesus stuff. St. Teresa of Avila says this, "'Christ has no body now but yours. "'No hands, no feet on earth but yours. "'Yours are the eyes through which Christ "'looks compassion into the world. "'Yours are the feet to which Christ walks to do good. Yours are the hands to which Christ blesses the world. We have the opportunity to carry and embody the desires of God around us. And lastly, sacrificial love. It's hard to measure sacrificial love. When Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, when he took off the garment and he put on and he picked up the basin and the towel, it's hard to measure in that moment that love. The truth is, is that we are to lean into acts of service, even when we can't see what's happening on the other side of it. To be all in here is to commit to every aspect of our community that requires need. You see, who you become isn't down to a few moments of ministry and worship. It's rarely these big dramatic moments that shape us into living and becoming love. It's actually the small, ordinary day-to-day moments where we actually become love, where we embody what love looks like in this world. And maybe you're busy and you're like, this just feels like way too much. I was all in up until this point and now I'm all out. And the truth is, this isn't about doing more. This isn't about adding more and more stuff. This is about a mindset shift that instead of doing things for God, we do things with God, that we walk with him, that we work with him and that we watch how he does it, that we live into the unforced rhythms of grace all around us. So that we go to work and we understand that work is worship. We're not just doing it for God, but we're doing it with God. When we go to play sports on a Saturday, we're not just doing it for God, we're doing it with God. We invite him into the everyday ordinary things. We ask him to see how he sees and then we act out what he desires around us. This is what it means to live out there beyond these walls towards strangers, embodying service and embodying love. William Booth, and I'll close with this, who is the founder of the Salvation Army, was asked around his success why it blew up. Here's what he said. I tell you the secret. God has had all of me that there was. There's been men with greater brains than I, even with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with me and them, on that day I made up my mind that God showed that, that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army, it's because God has had all of the adoration of my heart, all of the power of my will, and all of the influence of my life. What does it look like for God to have all of you, not just some of you, not just parts, not just a Sunday, but for him to have all of you, to live into a life of service, to live the Jesus way, to serve the family, to invest in the emerging generations and to join him with the mission of God here on earth. Church family, we find ourselves in the cusp of an opportunity of a lifetime where we could see God move in this day and age like we've never seen before. I've talked about this before. I don't want to live in rumors. I don't want to live off stories. I don't want to get to 60 or 70 or 80 and just talk about how God moved hundreds of years ago. I want to be a part of it here and now. And what this looks like is just saying yes. All of us for all of our days for all of Jesus. And the other side of us, I think, is all of this region and beyond. If you're able, why don't you stand? And as we come into land, I I acknowledge that this probably feels a bit punchy and someone came up to me after the first service and said that was very sprunchy which means specific and punchy can't say that word i acknowledge that and i actually think it's appropriate that we feel some of the weight of this we acknowledge the weight of this and we sense the opportunity that we could walk into and so what i'd love to do is to pray for us to pray for our hearts to pray for our eyes and to pray for our hands that God would do something supernatural in us, that he would do the wrestling with us from this point of what it looks like for all of us to be laid down for this. And so if you're able and feel comfortable, why don't you close your eyes and hold out your hands as a way and a posture to receive. It's the Spirit's job that makes rumors reality in our hearts. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. God, right now in this moment, we welcome you fully into it. God, we acknowledge your presence with us. And God, our confession is that we're so grateful for what you've done in our lives, what you've done in our hearts, what you're doing in this community. God, I pray you would shake up our appetite to see you move in this day. That we would long to see all of you in all of this region, a valley on fire where prodigals return home where the sick are healed where this family pulls together despite whatever else is going on god that this would look like jesus and that we would be jesus in this world and so god right now i pray for my friends i pray for their hearts right now god would you occupy the place of their heart would it burn for you and for you alone holy spirit come dwell in their hearts God, I pray for my friend's eyes right now that they would see how you see, that their eyes would see compassion in the world, that you would change how they look at things on a Monday and a Tuesday, that you would shift it now. God, I pray for their hands. God, I pray that they would be hands of healing and of restoration, of practicality and of service, that these hands would be the hands that help lead a whole region into the life that you've created us to live. And God, I pray for our feet, the places that we go and that we step, that we would carry the presence and the atmosphere of heaven everywhere we go. That we wouldn't just product place you, but that we would talk about you as the desire of our heart and that we would demonstrate your kingdom here on earth. And so Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh and anew from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. God, would it be said about Lagan Valley Vineyard that you had all of us, All of us. Pray this in your name. Amen.